Lent begins this Wednesday. I thought for Lent this year, we would talk about the Old Testament prophets. How's that sound? Is that like a jolt of caffeine? (laughs) Don't need your coffee this morning because you have the prophets. Uh, Titled this series, very simple, uh, The Prophets. (laughs) Self-explanatory right there. And I have titled this sermon, An Introduction to the Prophets. Everything that you would like to know about the prophets in the next two hours and 45 minutes. (laughs) I see a few people leaving already. (laughs) Uh, Let's begin with two questions, shall we? Why the prophets and why now? Why, for the next six weeks, are we devoting ourselves to talking about the Old Testament prophets? Why are we doing it right now, February uh, was it the 19th, 2023? I mentioned before, uh, we're in the season of Lent. Lent begins on Wednesday with Ash Wednesday. So I know we're a little early for Lent, uh, but here's how I justify it. Uh, over the past couple of years, we begin celebrating Lent the Sunday after Ash Wednesday. So I have a couple of days stored up for us to, a couple of Sundays stored up to talk about it, right? We're okay with doing another week for Lent. Is that cool for all of us? And I know Lent isn't necessarily our favorite time. Sometimes it can be a bit depressing. It's not like we talk about resurrection during Lent. Actually, that's the thing that you don't talk about during Lent because you have to go through a death in order to get to a resurrection. That's what we'll be doing over these next six weeks. But Lent begins, and Lent, it's this beautiful time in the church calendar. It's the 40-day period leading up to resurrection. Uh, It's a time of preparation. Two ways of looking at it. It's self-reflection. What's going on inside of our hearts? What's going on inside our souls? If we don't do it here on a Sunday morning, when else are we peering into our souls? When else are we looking to see what's happening within us? Another way of viewing Lent Self-diagnostics for your soul. I used to work at a car garage. People would come. They would bring their cars in. I don't know what's going on with it. All these lights are going on. It's doing this really weird buzzing thing. It's pulling this way, doing this, doing that. The technician would bring a computer, hook it up. Some codes would come up, and then they would know exactly most of the time. Sometimes it'd be a head scratcher. But most of the time, once that computer was plugged in and they ran those diagnostic tests, they would be able to know what exactly is happening with the car, and then you can begin the process of fixing it. So that's what Lent is all about. What are we carrying around within us? I have two images for us, because maybe words don't work for you, uh, but a picture is worth a thousand words. Two pictures for us about the season of Lent, what it looks like to me. I mentioned about a car. (laughs) Imagine the car is your life. We're going to spend these next couple of weeks peering under the hood. I get it. That can be uncomfortable for some, many, if not all of us. That's why we sit in these seats from time to time, because we want to push everything to the side. Sometimes we do what we can to avoid looking under the hood. Oh, it's okay. It'll resolve itself eventually. We numb ourselves. We do everything we can to prevent opening the hood and looking within, yet this is what Lent is all about. It takes courage, strength, 
And we peer inside to see, well, what exactly is happening within our souls? Uh, here's another picture. And I wanted to get the X-Files flashlights. Any other X-Files fans here? But this is, this is what Lent is all about, taking a flashlight and shining it on those dark places. The places that are in the far reaches of our soul, the places that uh, light often doesn't reach them. Maybe that's why we're doing an extra week of Lent this year, because we need to get a little bit further than where we've gone in years past. So here are two pictures for us as we begin the journey of Lent. My prayer for us is that we would walk forward with the courage to explore everywhere these next few weeks will take us. And then I have a question for us. It's a question that I ask every single season of Lent. Does anyone know what question this is going to be? Can anyone remember from a year back, or were you too cold last year? <laughs> were you too bundled up? Your brain wasn't working at brain freeze. Uh, here's the question. What needs to die in my life so I can experience resurrection? I ask it every year, and I think it's important to ask every year because we've just had a year of buildup. You know how you go to the dentist every couple of months, hopefully every six months? If not, you're due for a checkup. And they, they, all that plaque that builds up, whatever that, that's there that you can't get from normal brushing and flossing, they, they, well, that's what happens throughout a year. Your soul begins to build up plaque. Lent is an opportunity for us to chip away at that plaque so we can get a little deeper, so we can move forward with a little more life in our steps, so we can experience a little more of the resurrection that Jesus brings. So now we will not talk about resurrection again until... April, April 9th, uh, was that seven weeks from now, I think that is, uh, because we are in the season of Lent. Now, you're probably wondering, okay, well, where do the prophets come in? I understand we're going to talk about Lent, because I know that we're in this season, but why will we talk about the prophets for these next couple of weeks? In the Old Testament, uh, it's divided into three large parts. You have the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, uh, then you have the prophets, and then you have wisdom literature. Right in the middle there, the prophets, that's where we will focus our attention. So this is one giant portion of the Old Testament. And obviously, we are not going to go verse by verse, or we will be here uh, indefinitely. Uh, there, there's so much here, so we'll kind of be on the surface a little bit, but we'll dive a little deeper into certain portions, certain parts of the prophets. But the prophets, what they represent is an internal critique. Uh, this is the only religious text to have this internal critique baked into it. Essentially, what the prophets are saying, you are full of it. You hold true to this tradition, to this religion, to this view of God. This is how you have understood God and, and how you believe God desires for you to live as God's people. But in reality, your lives are not reflecting the truths that you hold. The truths that you can communicate verbally, uh, intellectually that you hold. The prophets are this critique against the religious tradition saying, you're full of it. And what the prophets are doing, uh, three things, they're revealing where the tradition has gone off course. We have this religious tradition, and the prophets are saying, 
okay, here is the path, and you find yourself lost somewhere out here. So there's this call, there's an offer to repent, to return to the path. You'll find time and time again throughout the prophets, return, return, return. Begin again to walk the path that your ancestors had walked. Return to the true path, the path that you know in your hearts is the best and most true path. And then the prophets, they're almost, I I liken them in a sense to the ghost of Christmas future. Uh, We all know this ghost from a Christmas carol. It's kind of like that ominous figure that's there. Just points, doesn't say anything to Scrooge, but just sort of points and then Scrooge follows along. The prophets are giving a picture. They're showing what will happen if the Israelites, those following the Jewish tradition, if they don't return to the path. If you continue on the path that you're on, this path of destruction, well, this is where it's going to end up. This is what will happen. Now let's talk about one big misconception of the prophets. For many people, the only role of the prophets is that they would predict the future. So the prophets sort of look like this. They peer into a crystal ball and they're predicting the future that is sometime far, far ahead of when they are speaking. But this isn't true about the prophets because the prophets were speaking to real people in real situations. My Hebrew professor, Old Testament professor in seminary, he had this sentence, this idea which really bothered me, uh, but I have found it to be so true. He said, the Bible wasn't written for you. And he would repeat this time and time again, and I think we forget this. The Bible was not written for us. The Bible was written for people in a particular time and place. And yes, there is truth that transcends. There is wisdom for us today. But if we want to understand what that truth is and what that wisdom is that is contained within the Bible, we have to understand the original audience. So in order to understand the prophets, we have to understand, well, why were they saying the things that they were saying? Why were they speaking out in such a way? Who were they speaking to? What was the geopolitical situation at the time? Because all of this is immensely important for understanding the prophets within their original context and then how we can apply it to us in our lives today. So the, the, uh, the prophets, they had a particular audience in mind. It was their audience. The prophets were not thinking about us. They weren't thinking about the people in the New Testament even when they were giving these messages, these oracles as they're called, but rather they were thinking about their people. They had particular names possibly in mind, faces, stores, they were thinking about all those that they saw, that they rubbed shoulders with on a regular basis. So we must set the prophets. They, they must be set in their time and place. And one scholar, uh, I love this idea, the, the prophets interpreted the signs of the times. In order to understand them, we have to know, well, what was happening in the world at the time in which the prophets were speaking? I have a chart for us. This chart, it's not my favorite chart, I'll say. Uh, Things are a little more nuanced, a little more detailed 
than the chart you have up here, but I think this chart is important because it shows that the prophets, they existed throughout a pretty wide range of Jewish history. And I think there's three main chunks of time in which the prophets were speaking. If you look to the, uh, to the left over here, you see N and S kingdoms, that's north and south kingdoms, and then you have Judah alone. That time would be considered pre-exile. So while the Israelites were living in their land, this is when things were kind of normal for them. Israel, they were in charge of themselves. But then you come to this time known as the exile. So you have the Assyrians and the Babylonians who came and they conquered. And the exile was the defining moment in Jewish history because the exile turned everything upside down. Chances are you have experienced moments of exile in your life as well. You ever have a period in time that was just so dark, so depressing? It challenged everything that you believed, everything that you held to be true. Well, all of a sudden it was ripped out from under you and you begin to question, where's God in this? All the things that I held on to, well, they're no longer there in front of me. And so exile was an extremely challenging time for the Israelites. And it was the defining moment in their lives. So sometimes the prophets were speaking to those who were living in the land before the exile. Sometimes we have some prophets, as you can see, who were speaking to the Israelites while they were in exile, while they were in Babylon. But then we have a third time frame, which would be post-exile, because eventually the Persians allowed the Israelites to return to their home. And you need prophets as well at this time in order to birth a new picture, a picture of hope, of what it means to return to the land. So there's three main chunks of time in which the prophets were speaking. Before the exile, during the exile, and then after the exile. All of this is extremely important. So whenever you look at a prophet, you have to say, okay, when were they speaking? Was it before this time, during this time, after this time? And then you can see who one of these main players happen to be. Now there's a book, and if you would like to follow along with the prophets, I highly recommend this book. It's by Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann. Uh, he has been called the, uh, he's been called a rock star of theology. I love Walter Brueggemann. I have read lots of his books. Uh, so if you would like a book about the prophets, this one's called Reality, Grief, and Hope, Three Urgent Prophetic Tasks. And what Brueggemann does throughout this book, which I think is absolutely brilliant, is he breaks down, maybe you could tell from the subtitle, there's how many tasks of the prophets? But they're not just tasks. They're what kind of tasks? Urgent tasks. There's something that has to be said. And uh, any idea what these three tasks are? Does anyone know? Need some help with this one? Reality, grief, and hope. Here's how he breaks it down. Reality, which I would say is pre-exile. This is the time when the Israelites are living in the land. Everything is going the way in which it is supposed to go. But the prophets come in and they say, not so fast. There are some things that are boiling under the surface. I know you think everything is great right now. I know you think everything will continue this way forever. But... Let me give you a picture of reality. There are some things that are happening in the far corners 
of the kingdom, the far corners of your soul. And the truth is, the reality is, they're actually, they're not going, this way of living is not going to continue forever. What's happening under the surface is actually leading you down a dark path. Because for the Israelites at this time, especially for the elite, those who are in power, they held to this idea of chosenness, of privilege. They were special because they were God's people. And so those in power, in a sense what they were doing is they were hiding behind the idea of God. We've been chosen by God, which means we can live however we want because God would never turn his face to us. Who cares how we live because we're the special privileged people. You ever see this? You ever see people living, there's a sense of entitlement. This is how the Israelites, especially those in power, those at the top, were living at the time. Holding on to this idea of, well, we were chosen by God, so who cares how we live? And the prophets come in and they say, uh, actually, you're, you're really not living as God's people. You aren't pursuing justice and righteousness with your lives or with this kingdom, this society that you have created. But in reality, your kingdom is built on injustice. There's those at the top, and then there's those at the bottom who are getting stepped on, and those at the top are not caring at all for those at the bottom. Have we ever experienced this in our lives? Have we ever seen injustice in this world in which we live? Might the prophets of ancient times have something to speak to us in our world today about injustice, about those at the top using their power and privilege while those at the bottom get squashed and pushed down a little bit more? The prophets come in and they say, you can't hide behind your religion. It's great that you have these worship services. It's great that you go to temple, you go to church, but your life is not showing any fruit of your religious services. You proclaim a God of justice, but in reality, your kingdom is anything but. Here's an example, Isaiah chapter 5. He, God, expected justice. This is what God has expected from you. For those who are leading this kingdom, God expected that you would create a just society, but instead, what does God see? Bloodshed. These are harsh words, are they not? God expected righteousness, but instead heard a cry of the oppressed, the poor, those who were suffering in this system. Uh, here's Amos 5.7. Ah, you that turn justice to wormwood, to bitterness. Justice. Everyone is supposed to have the things that they need. Everyone is supposed to live in a way that brings joy in this kingdom. But in reality, the way in which you've established this kingdom, it's only leading to bitterness, and you bring righteousness to the ground. This is a harsh critique. The prophets are saying you can only deceive yourselves for so long. So they, they uh, give a picture of reality. And then the second urgent task is that of grief. And I would argue this happens pre-exile and then during the exile. So in the midst of denial, remember, 
We're the chosen people. Nothing can go wrong here. God's always going to be for us. We can live however we want to live. Yet the prophets come in with a picture like this. This is Amos uh, chapter 8. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs in the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. The prophets are giving a picture. If you do not change your way, if you do not move this kingdom into the way of justice and righteousness for every single person, this is what's going to happen. This is what will befall you. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your religious festivals into mourning and all your singing into weeping. You can't hide behind your religion. You can't come to church on a Sunday, sing some songs, and then go out and treat your neighbor like crap. You can't care only for yourself at the expense of others because then everything that's happening here, all the singing you do, all the Bible reading you do, it amounts to absolutely nothing if your life is not being transformed, if you're not living a way of love. I will make all of you wear sackcloth and shave your heads. I will make that time like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Pretty powerful language. They're not sugarcoating anything, are they? If you don't create a different society, this is what will happen. Uh, and then uh, they are able to help the Israelites process grief during exile. Jeremiah chapter 8. Is there no bomb in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Have you ever been here before? A time of exile. A time of darkness. And you wonder where is God in this moment? Why aren't I experiencing healing? Why won't God come to my rescue? The prophets are putting into words that which those in exile are feeling. Because you have to give expression to your grief. You can't allow the darkness just to simmer and to stay there. But rather, it has to come out. You have to give it voice. This is what the prophets are doing. They are speaking for the people, giving an example. This is how you work through your grief. This is how you work through all that you are currently experiencing. And then here's the third task, hope. Because you can't just stay in grief. God doesn't simply leave us in grief, but there's a picture of hope. And this happens during the exile, and then it happens in post-exile, after the return. Uh, there's hope amid despair. And the picture that the prophets give is that God will restore. God will restore that which has been lost. That which has been broken, God will heal. And I love this idea of the judgment. It's temporary. What lasts forever? Not judgment, but God's love. If you read through the prophets, judgment is something that is, which I found this idea absolutely fascinating. It's the love of God that endures forever and ever. God's love will overcome. The prophets give a picture that this is not the end. Two examples for us, Isaiah chapter 40, comfort, comfort my people. 
says your God. Have you ever needed to hear this in life before? Comfort. Does anyone need to hear those words spoken over you this morning? Comfort. Comfort. My people. God has never abandoned his people. God has never abandoned you. Yes, it might feel dark. It might feel hopeless for a time, but the truth is God is ever present with you. Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her. Her hard service has been completed. Her sin has been paid for. She has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. It's a picture, a beautiful picture of restoration. Moving through a time, but then that time is temporary and there's something new that is emerging. The second example, Micah 7, who is a God like you who pardons sin, forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but rather delight to show mercy. This is the God the prophets spoke of, a God who delights in showing mercy, who can't. It is not in the nature of God to stay angry forever because God is a God of love and mercy. And God is angry because a system has been created that does not work for everyone. And some people are being oppressed and pushed down. This is what makes God angry, these actions. But God doesn't stay there because God is a God who moves all of us forward in love. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl out all our iniquities into the depths of of the sea, all of that shall be gone, and your love is that which endures. Now, as we unpack the prophets over the next couple of weeks, uh, there are five truths that will underscore everything about these prophets, and the, this is really, really important for us to get. First, the prophets were insiders, so they were part of the tradition. Remember, this was an internal critique. The prophets were part of the Jewish tradition. Why does this matter? Because they weren't outsiders throwing rocks. This wasn't someone outside of the tradition who was coming in and critiquing the Israel religion or the nation of Israel or Judah, but rather these were people who deeply, deeply cared about their tradition. So we have to always remember as crazy and extreme and harsh as the prophets are, and we've already read some pretty harsh words of the prophets, everything they did was rooted in love because they cared for their people. They cared for their nation. They cared for the tradition. They weren't cynical. They weren't out just simply to pass judgment, but rather they were hoping for the restoration of their friends, their family, the nation and tradition that they so deeply loved and believed in. Second, uh, they were burdened by what they saw and what they heard from God. So they wanted things to change. They desired restoration. And the prophets, they could not stay silent no matter what they heard. No matter how bleak the picture might have looked, or how harsh the critique was, they couldn't stay silent because there was this burning within him. Uh, here's Jeremiah, I love this verse, 20, uh, verse 9. 
If I say, I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, no, I can't do it anymore. No, it's too dark. People don't like me. It's too depressing. But if I were to say this, his word is in my heart like a fire, a fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. The prophets carried with them a deep burden for the Israelites and the Jewish tradition. Third truth, uh, the prophet's message was birthed through personal experiences with God. They experienced, they had an encounter with the Spirit. All of their messages were birthed from that experience. They didn't simply read it in a book. They didn't see it on social media and then just start giving some ideas to people, but rather they had their own personal encounter with the Spirit and their messages were birthed from those experiences. Number four, uh, the prophet spoke out against how society was structured. Their heart was God's heart to create a sustainable society. And what the prophets were saying is how you live, your actions, they affect all of creation. Now here's my favorite example of this. It's in Hosea chapter four. Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There is no faithfulness. There's no love. There's no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing, and adultery. Would you like to live in a land like this? Would you like to live in a country like this? There is no love. There's only deceit and murder. They break all bounds. Bloodshed follows bloodshed. Because of this, the land dries up, and all who live in it waste away. And it doesn't simply affect humanity, but rather the way in which the Israelites are living, it affects all of creation. Have we not found this to be true in the times in which we live as well? How our actions, they impact all of creation. Not just us, but the beautiful world that we've been given to look after. All who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea are swept away. The prophet's desire for a sustainable society for humanity, but all of creation as well. Your actions have consequences for everything. And number five, the final truth, which is important to remember, the prophets were not well liked. <laughs> Does anyone uh, want to offer an explanation as to why the prophets weren't well liked? Yeah, they held a mirror up. Exactly. Here's my uh, explanation. Who wants to be called out of their crap? Do you, does anyone like this? When someone comes up to you and is like, hey, look, I got to talk to you. And you're like, oh, man, you're right. Yeah, who likes to be called out on their crap? None of us do. That's what Lent's all about, being called out on your crap and then dealing with it, being honest about it. I think oftentimes we make the prophets to be fortune tellers. Well, the only good the prophets has is, well, they tell us about Jesus. They tell us about the future. But see, what happens with this way of understanding, it can keep us arm's length away from a message that actually challenges and convicts us. 
when the only good the prophets are is that, well, they, they tell us about what's to come. Well, we no longer have to internalize that message and pull it apart and ask questions about, well, what does it mean for us and how we're living individually, but also as a society? My challenge for us this Lent, these next 40 some odd days, is that we would lift the hood of our souls. That we would shine the light on what's happening within. That we would ask that question, what does need to die in my life? What's not leading me in a good direction? What's not leading this world, this creation in a good direction? And how can we return to the path? How can we honor the truth of the tradition that we were handed? Not a tradition that hides behind religion, but a tradition that is rooted in love and justice. Creating a sustainable society, the thing that God desires for all of us to be a part of, to create a world where no one is left behind, where everyone's voice is heard, where everyone has access to all the things that we need to survive in life. So this Lenten season, we'll shine the light and we'll listen. We'll ask God, what in our lives needs to go so we can move forward in greater love and justice.